Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Um, so today I'm talking about prayer. And uh, Rossi's like, yeah, we'll let Jasmine talk about prayer. It's her thing. Well, I think it's supposed to be all our thing. It's not just my thing. It's supposed to be all our thing, right? But sometimes I think... I think sometimes it's boring. Because I think we... It just becomes kind of... That's great. It just comes... Yeah, does God really listen? So I hope that today... With just this little chat that you will be encouraged and challenged and confident. The title of my message is called An Audience with the King. Because that's really what prayer is, right? The King of all kings. We're singing about the Holy One, the creator of the universe. This is, this is who we have an audience with. And um, I was thinking, I said, okay, Lord, I really like to have a story, and I don't have a lot of royalty stories in my world. But uh, right away, I was taken to the book of Esther. And the story of the book of Esther is about a young Jewish girl who gets chosen to be the the king's bride, one of his harem. But the Bible says that he, uh, he liked her. The king loved Esther more than any other young woman. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of the other girl who was queen. To celebrate the occasion, he gave great banquet in her honor for all his nobles and officials declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. So this was an important thing. Uh, If you read the whole book yourself, you'll find out that the king decided out of his pride that he wanted a new bride. All right, so that's a, the intrigue of the story in a way. So read that yourself. I'm going to pick up from uh, Esther book uh, chapter three. But here, I uh, just want to read a little bit as a precursor. So even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai, which was Esther's uncle, he had become a palace official. Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was Jewish. She was still following her uncle's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. Okay, so Mordecai, her uncle, is one of the palace officials. He pays attention at the king's gate. And while he was there, a couple of guys, he heard, overheard a couple of guys plotting to kill the king. And so Mordecai heard about the plot, and he gave the information to the queen. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. And when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were killed. Okay, so he has influence. Is this the point I'm bringing up about Mordecai, her uncle? The queen's uncle has influence. Now, sometime later, the Bible says, after the queen is already the queen and this, uh, un- and this plot had been uncovered, the king appoints, promotes a man named Haman over all the nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. 
And all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. When the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman, who was next, kind of next in line under the king, about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. Now, we read just earlier that he was important. He was an important official, Mordecai. So Haman was above him. But the other guys, they're going to tattle on him because they think, you know, he should bow down and do the right thing. Well, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. And he had learned of Mordecai's nationality. So it wasn't obviously noticeable that he was a Jew. And so Haman decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone, like arrest him and punish him. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of the king. So Haman schemed and he presented an edict to the king due to Mordecai's unwillingness to bow before him, I guess. There's a, so he comes before the king. There's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everybody else, he's telling the king. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. So obviously Haman had money. So he's basically bribing the king, isn't he, to get what he wants. But he also, he also um, pitched it like, you know, these guys are anti-king. They're anti the kingdom. Now, the king had a huge kingdom, like 127 provinces or something, like massive reign. But the king agreed confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of such and a such, the enemy of the Jews. <laughs> Sorry. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So, the king, you know, uh, Haman sent out decrees. Everybody knew that on this certain date, we're going to round up the Jews. We're going to kill them all. So, um, a copy of this degree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all the people so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. <clears throat> so at the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, <clears throat> put on burlap, and ashes and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as the news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothes to him. This is her uncle. She's like, she's upset. Take these clothes to him. But he refused them. Then Esther sent for one of the king's guys who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So he went to Mordecai, who was in the palace gate. He told them the whole story, including the exact amount of money 
Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He gave the official, the servant, a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews, and he asked him to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked to direct, that he would direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So he returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then, Mordecai, or then Esther told, <clears throat> his name is Hathak, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anybody who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So it's not looking good. So Mordecai gets that message, and he sends a reply to her. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. That's a heavy-duty thing. But I think it's really interesting that he says... If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. He had such confidence in God that God would not allow his people to be destroyed. But you and your relatives will die, meaning himself. He was going to die. She was going to die. And he, he wasn't saying that it was necessarily going to happen right now, but he knew that deliverance was coming for the Jewish people. So she thinks about this. And she realizes, I'm pretty sure, I do have influence for this time. She obviously respected her uncle enough. Yeah, you're probably right. So she sent this reply to him, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So he went, Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So here she realizes from her uncle's leadership, I, I need help. I, I, need, I need you guys to all fast with me and pray. Because she, like she said, she wasn't necessarily going to get an audience with the king. But she knew that if they would pray, that there was a chance she'd get an audience with the king. So we see a people setting aside their own agenda. I mean, they're freaked out. They're going to be wiped out, genocide. And they begin to seek God on behalf of themselves, especially at the urging of the queen. Three days of prayer and eating no food, as we are learning about in our fasting horse, not just, you know, abstaining from Netflix. We're, we're fasting. We're, we're desperate. The Jews were desperate. We need the, king to ha we need the queen to be able to approach the king. Maybe something can happen. So... Where are we at? On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. So, prayer one was answered. She, was, she wasn't like, why are you here? We're executing you. He's, he's, he lets out his scepter. So God, so God answers her prayers. She gets an audience with the king. And she, and, and she also 
gets a strategy because she has to come to the king with something. So she's gotten a strategy in the prayer, in the prayer time of how to approach the king about this terrible plan. Their prayers are also answered in the king's reaction. But first of all, the strategy, food. A banquet was her strategy. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. It was big. It was a big deal. A lot of people were um, probably thinking, what is she doing? But they had a banquet. So they have this banquet, and the king's like, I'll give you half of the kingdom. What is it you want? This is wonderful. What a great party. And what does she say? Come back tomorrow, and, I'll, and then I will I'll pre present my request to you. Come again and just bring Haman, and we're going to have a party again. Haman is very excited to be invited because he's the king's second in command as well. But only them, only the two of them were um, invited. So I think it's really key. She not only gets an audience with the king because of their prayer and fasting, but she gets a strategy to approach the king in the, and make him favorable to her requests. Okay, so this is what she's going for. Prayer is our audience with the king. God wants to hear from us, and he wants to have a conversation with us. So he sent his son to the cross so you and I can have access to the king of kings. If, we, if he hadn't done that, we would have no access. But because he did that, he wants us to know you have a right to access to the king. That's what prayer is. And have assurance that he cares about the things we care about. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must first believe that God exists and then believe that he rewards those who diligently or sincerely seek him. Esther's request for the Jewish people to fast and pray was out of desperation. We would all be, we would all be the same. She knew that she would be taking a risk by approaching the king. She needed divine help. She needed a divine plan as well. Who knew that a divine plan was a banquet? But that was the plan. Three days of prayer brought the answers. When we pray, we approach our king in faith, believing that he exists and that he hears us. Would you approach someone you didn't believe could help you or help change someone else's situation? What would be the point? Why would I do that? Why would I ask a mechanic to fix a plumbing problem? Why would I ask a child for an answer to an adult's problem? Like, you go to the source. The person that you know can make a difference, who can actually help you, right? If your child came to ask you for food or help in some area, you would want them to come securely, knowing, yeah, my mom's going to help me with this. I know she's going to help me. Um, she loves me. I know that she's going to do everything that she can to help me in this situation. I got to ask my mom or my dad or whatever. So no matter their age, as a parent, I could testify I would do whatever I could to help my child or my grandchildren. I just would. I'd be horrified if I found out my child had no security in our relationship and that they wouldn't ask for help. I would be horrified. My child did not believe that I would help them. Um, I do have a child that sometimes thinks like that. But I think deep down, when pushes come to shove, she gets it. She knows I'm there for her. We uh, had to meet her at the hospital after the July long weekend, and she didn't know we were in town, but we were trying to contact her to say, surprise, we're here. And she was in the hospital because she'd had a seizure. 
And so when she saw my face, she was just like a little kid again, like, Mom, you're here. You're here. So other times, you know, it's just like, I don't need you, but you're here. You're, you're here. I, you, how did you know I needed you right now? You know, and God wants us to come to him because he actually already knows you need him. But a lot of times we can't be, we don't really go there. I think it's like our last resort or something. God wonders why we don't approach him the same way. Often we don't ask him anything. We think about things. I thought that was interesting what Pastor Josiah said on the fat, when he was preaching about fasting. You know, our thoughts are not necessarily prayers. They're just our thoughts. Like the Bible says we're worrying, we, we get anxious, but don't do that pray about it. So there's a, there is something different. We're just not thinking, you, you know, about things. We're actually praying about them. Sometimes we do the self-talk. We go to logic. Well, God gave me a mind and a body, and I've got education. I can figure this out. I don't need his help, or I don't need anybody's help. These are the dialogues that the enemy wants us to entertain. Don't even bother. You could deal with this. You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. You could do it. Don't bother. God hasn't come through that with that other area yet. He hasn't really answered that prayer, so why are you really going to ask him about this? All the enemy really needs to do is present us with doubt, right? And deny and accuse God of not actually being who he says he is. And then we just start thinking about it instead of saying, no, I know that my audience with the king matters. And, you know, I'm not going to listen to that logic and those half-truths. I'm going to ask the king. I'm going to ask my God because he cares about me. Um, Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he has faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, we can come boldly because of Jesus. Because he has died and risen again, we get to talk to God ourselves. Unlike Queen Esther, she couldn't come boldly. She had to be allowed in. But we get in already because of Jesus. Isn't that great? We get in the throne room already because of Jesus. Esther believed that God would hear the people and her prayers. Otherwise, she wouldn't have asked them to pray. When the time came after three days and the scepter was held out to her, her requests were heard. So everybody joined together in unity. They prayed. They believed God was going to hear them. They were desperate for God to hear them. They didn't have any help other ways because, you know, once the decree was made, there was no way it was going away. It could not be made void. It just couldn't because the king had put his signet ring on it and he had endorsed it. So the Jews needed a different tactic. And so in their prayers and in their fasting, God was planning how this was going to change and how it was going to happen. Unbeknownst to them, they were just praying, God, we need a way out of this. So on the second banquet, the king's like, all right, already. I am full. I've drunk enough. I'm full. What do you want? She begins to unfold and say, you know, I, I really am pleading for my people that, um, you know, you're going to kill them all. And I, you're my people, my family, you're going to kill them all. And the king is horrified because he did not know that she was a Jew. She did not know anything, really, about her background. He was just going for the outward appearance, obviously. He didn't do any homework. He just says, the beautiful ones are the ones I want. When he hears that there's been this, what do you mean people are going to kill the queen? Who said this? And she just pointed at Haman, your buddy here. 
He's made it all happen. And, you know, you've signed the thing yourself. Well, Haman, of course, was horrified. He was terrified because the power in that room, he knew that his life was in the balance. The king leaves the room because he's like, I, I, I can't even look at him. I don't even know what's happening. How did this happen? My queen, my favorite one. So he's out. He's standing outside. He's, you know, getting composure. And what's Haman doing? He falls upon the queen. Help me, mercy, mercy, mercy. But the king comes in and sees him laying on his wife. You know, even though she's, he's begging for his life, the king sees red. Get rid of him. They take him out. His officials explain that Haman had pre pre prepared the, um, like, they, pay, they would impale them on a pole. So they, the, the people that knew about what Haman had done told the king that he had actually planned this for Mordecai. And so the king is like, the end. Put him on it because he's gone against the, he's going after the king's wife. So Haman dies, and, and of course, everybody's shocked. I'm sure the Jews are like, yikes, but glad. But still, there's the decree. There is the, you know, the assignment for all the military that when we're on this day, we're going to round up the Jews. So something has to be done about that. So their prayers have in, implemented a plan that they realize the king realizes Mordecai is the next guy, the guy that saved him the first time, the guy that stood in and didn't take any credit. So they, the king honors him. And he brings him into his confidence. And together with the queen, too, they execute a new decree that the Jews can defend themselves on a certain day. They can defend themselves because it's the day, the day of the roundup. And also, on the second day, after they've, you know, defended themselves, that the Jews have the power to further annihilate anybody who is against them, that they know of, that isn't coming after them, but they know that they're against them. So the king empowers the Jews through Mordecai, his very loyal Jewish servant, and the Jews are saved. Now, that... All that would never have unfolded had not the people taken the time to pray that the queen could have an audience with the king, right? That just wouldn't happen because it, it wasn't like, you know, we're not going to send the king a text. It wasn't familiar. There was ways that things had to happen, and God used the ways that things had to happen for his purposes. 1 John 5 14, this is the confidence we have approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. The message version says, the same verses, my purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's son will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. First thing, the reality of eternal life and not the illusion, and how bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will, sure that he's listening. And if we're confident that he's listening, we know that we have, we know that what we've asked for is as good as ours. What a powerful verse, hey? It encourages me so much to know that my prayers are not falling on the ground and God isn't going, I don't really care what she thinks. Because he does care. He says, if you believe in me, come to me, ask me. 
my audience with the king. This is a powerful verse. However, let's just say that there have been prayers that I've prayed that have not yet been answered the way that I want them answered. Right? This is, this is not like, you know, slot machine Jesus. Okay? Just beware of that. It's not slot machine Jesus. And you cannot make Jesus do something. But you can approach him like, you, like your child can approach you with confidence that he hears you, that he knows you. And he knows what's best. This lack of getting our answers the way we want does not remove the power and the truth of the Bible. God is all-knowing, and I surrendered to his knowing leadership in my life when I accepted him, when I, when I turned to him and, and let him be the Lord of my life. A guy, um, A.W. Tozer, famous author, he says, The hard work of prayer is getting yourself into a state of mind in which you prefer the will of God over your own will. It's very hard. And we see outcomes just like we see, you know, I want 20 seconds, microwave, my coffee, outcome, done. God sees outcomes outside of time. So just because the scripture says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. He knows what you've asked of him, and in time, he does have the answer. I just want to be clear on that. God is the creator of heaven and earth, and everything in the earth and under the earth, he knows the big picture. He is God, and I am not. But still he says, come to me, have an audience with me. Isaiah 40, 25, to whom will you compare me, says God? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So let's have an audience with the king. Let's call out to him. Let's do what the verse says. Let's ask him anything. James 5. I love this little passage, and I was, you know, of course, when you're prepping these things, you're reading everything you can about prayer in the Bible, and there's so many scriptures. But this section, I thought, well, this is pretty plain. James 5, 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? Woo! You should sing praises. Love that jingle. That was good. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. That's how you deal with that. Are any of you sick? Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Think of that. The earnest prayer, sincere prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human. He was a guy. He was human just like us. And yet when he had his audience with the king, he earnestly prayed that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. What if we applied that to snow? <laughs> then... Then when Elijah prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. He was just an obedient child of God. And he prayed and God stopped up the heavens. No rain. I love this phrase, God is the kindest person I know. Because it's true. And, and, I've, and I've, it, that phrase has held me because he is kind and he knows how to relate to us because of his son coming to the earth. He knows me. And he knows you. And he knows we like clear instructions about godly living. Nothing cryptic. 
The Bible's pretty clear. And these scriptures that I just read are very clear directions about prayer. They're pretty self-explanatory. But I want to say something about confessing our sin. The scripture indicates that we all sin. Nobody is pure and clean. We need constant repentance because we are human beings. So if God directs us to repentance before healing, as the scripture points out, let's be quick to confess our sin and repent. Ask for forgiveness and get right. Get back into right standing with Christ and the salvation he died to offer. Let's not be ignorant to the way God works. He does not tolerate sin in believers. Doesn't. The author of the book is writing to the Jewish Christians. So this isn't taken out of context. It's confess your sins and be healed. He doesn't tolerate sin. Let's check our hearts with truth and honesty. You know, he is the spirit of truth. So you want his truth. We think we're truthful, but the Holy Spirit convicts us because we've missed something. And he lets us know where the truth is. Come to God in humility. Make our request known to him so we can have a true audience with the king. Don't come to him with hidden sin, asking him to do a work in a situation. When you're in disobedience to him, don't ask him. He's not going to be answering. Got to be in right relationship with him. Verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I love the Passion Translation. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another. And then pray for one another to be instantly healed for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power is released. I want that. We all want that. Prayer is our audience with the king. God wants to hear from us, his righteous people. He wants to have conversations with us. The whole reason he sent his son to the cross so that we can have access to him and have the assurance, like, yes, we know that he cares about the things we care about. Power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of the believer. God wants to answer your prayers. It's not like dice. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants an audience with you. He wants you to approach him. We have access to the king of the universe. Let's take advantage of it. And let's let God send you his goodness and his peace, right? The prayer and communion with God gives peace. And because of the goodness of God, you can be assured you're going to get answers. He's not going to delay if he has the answer for you right now. His delays have purpose in them. But if you, you have not, because you ask not. So let's have an audience with the king. Let's... Let's be truthful to ourselves. Check our hearts before we approach him and then go confidently like you see a kid running to their dad. Dad, 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 can I get that? Can we do this? Like that's how he wants us to approach him with confidence. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the story of Esther for the encouragement that we can have an audience with you. We can step into the throne room of God and you hear us. 
you know us already, and you want to have a conversation with us. God, I pray that this morning, the listeners to this sermon on prayer would be encouraged in their relationship with you and in the hugeness of who you are and that you just so want to talk to us. You so want us to approach you and you want to answer our prayers. God, I pray you or your Holy Spirit would just remind these people that you love them, that you're prepared to answer their prayers. You're just waiting for them to ask and that we would ask God in confidence and humility that the God of the universe knows exactly what we need. So God, I pray for a confidence and a boldness in this people to act on the word of God, to trust the word of God, and to know that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. You are a rewarder in Jesus' name. Amen. Would anybody like prayer right now? Because we would like to pray for you. Would anybody like us to join in agreement? We have, we have a prayer team. And we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you to have an audience with God. And we're going to, that's what praying together is. Agreeing together. That he who hears us rewards us when we agree together. I encourage you, if you're thinking about the new year, to read a book on prayer. These three I really like. The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. The book Push, Pray Until Something Happens by Jürgen Matisses. Very, very good. And Jim Simbola's book Breakthrough Prayer. This, these books are very, very good and very encouraging. And sometimes when we're dragging around, the authors of these kinds of books are helpful to get us kind of jump-started into our prayer life again. So I encourage you, don't let prayer be a secondary thing. Let it be a primary thing because he wants to answer you. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca. Thank you.